Well, amen. What an appropriate song to sing when we're talking about the love of the Father all weekend. And I pray that you are starting to get a deeper sense that you are lavishly loved. I'm praying that you're getting a deeper sense of what it means that your identity is child of God and that now you process everything that comes at you, every thought in your mind through, what would a child of God do? And allow that to determine your worldview, your actions, who you are. Because it's one thing that you can count on no matter what. And I love just the the, the clarity that a song like that brings just about how God would do anything. And he truly, we've seen that, has done everything. And now what we want to turn our attention to is what do we do? As we experience that love, how does God's love come through us to the world around us? And I'm really excited. We're going to be camping out in uh, chapter 4 of 1 John. But just as a reminder, we closed last session with 1 John 2.10. It says this, Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them that will make them stumble. So here's the call. Here's the clarity. Here's your purpose. This is what you were created to do and to be. As you live in love, you will come alive like nothing else. But here's the question. How do you define love? right? How do you define that word? In today's standards, in our culture, we're obsessed with love, but love seems to mean a lot of different things. I think there's little doubt we need an expert on love because I see love too often uh, described in selfish and sexual terms, and that's really what the world gives to us. Now, recently, a group of professionals posed the question, to four to eight-year-olds, what does love mean? And actually their answers kind of blew me away. And so did the researchers. I just wanted to read this for you. It's kind of refreshing. Chrissy, age six, says, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Bobby, age five, love is what's in the room. I love this. What's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen? What? You're five? What just happened? You're listening? Oh my gosh, okay. Woo. All right, love is... When you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it the rest of the week. Noel, age seven, she's already understanding the power of her encouragement. <laughs> love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. And this one will really crush you in a good way. Love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Okay, that eight-year-old gets it. (laughs) Now, those are good. Those answers warm our heart. They point us to something that's deeper, that's beautiful. But let's be honest, they are not the experts, just like we are not the experts. No, the expert on love is God. Haven't we seen this weekend that God's love is breathtaking, that it's overwhelming, that it's never-ending, that it's not selfish. Instead, it's selfless, sacrificial, supernatural, 
And that's the kind of love I want to experience. But that's also the kind of love I want my life to be defined by. Anybody else want your life to be defined by that kind of love? Anybody? Yes, you can raise your hand. Okay, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. We can get excited about that. So let's get really specific. What do we see in godly love? See, godly love is going to change everything if you understand it. It's going to change how you have friendships, how you interact with your family members, how you think about your coworkers, your classmates, everybody. Every interaction will be impacted by what we learn today. Even the way that you interact with your supposed enemies. So let's dive in. If you guys want to turn to 1 John 4, 7, that's where we're going to start out today. And in this last session that we had before, we talked about how God is light and how John unpacked that truth. And now we're going to shift to how God is love. And remember, who your daddy is has a great impact on who you are. So if your daddy, if your father is defined by love, that means that we're to be defined by love. And it all gets described right here in 1 John 4, 7. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who has loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There you see it, love. The one thing I think we'd all agree on, we want to define our life and the one who can show us how. Now we gotta be clear that God is love is not the same as love is God. This is actually something that is kind of commonly confused today. We can hear our culture saying, all we need is love. We just need to love each other. I mean, the Beatles wrote a song about it, right? Must be true. But really, it all depends on your definition of what love is. Rick Warren, a pastor, I think made a keen observation. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle... You must fear or hate them. The second lie is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Like if they're running at a brick wall and they really want to run at a brick wall, if you love them, you're just going to let them run into the brick wall. <laughs> he says, both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. No, a Christ-like love is, is different. And that's the first thing that we have to understand from this passage is that God defines love. Not what's convenient, not what's easy, not what we see in culture. No, God, through his word, defines love. And look again at verses 7 and 8. John beautifully unpacks. God is love. God shows love. And that those who have been who, who, are, who have been born of God and know God will love like God. It's this progression so love's source is in God. And as we love like God loves, people will see that we are connected to God, that we are born of God, that we are his family. And with God's help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can rise above our shallow definitions of love to one that is truly what we've marveled over all weekend with what John has talked about. That's the kind of love we get to reflect to our world. Now, will we stumble countless times? Absolutely, as we try to live out this kind of love. But then what happens? You stumble and you go, oh God, I confess. Instead of 
building that person up. I tore that person down and that is not love. I confess, forgive me, Lord. We ask for forgiveness from them. We turn and we receive the forgiveness and we trust that we've been cleansed so that then we can turn and become someone who no longer tears people down but builds people up and honors and respects them. So if you start to feel conviction today, that's okay. It doesn't change the fact that you're loved. It doesn't change the fact that you're a child of God. It's just God loving you enough to say, you need to change. And I'm going to be with you in the change. It's a beautiful cycle of growing. Now let's look at the second part of verse 7. It says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Y'all, this is big. <laughs> it's key. If you want to love like God, you've got to understand, I'm now born of God and I know God. Let's talk about what it means that you are born of God. Here's what I see. That I see my spiritually dead and selfish heart has been brought alive and connected now, being born of God. It's been connected to God's living, loving heart. That I would become love more and more. Think about it this way. If love is from God, the way heat is from fire that you got to experience last night. How many of you guys enjoyed the fires last night, right? The way light is from the sun. The way a turkey laugh is from Stephen. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into who God is, and now it's woven into who you are. The sun gives light because it is light. Fire gives heat because it is heat. So when it says you are born of God, this aspect of God's nature that he is love is now who you are. I wonder if you'll truly adopt that part of your identity. That when you wake up in the morning and you, you think of all the awful things you've done and you think, no, that's what defines me, that I'm, I'm a jerk or I'm, or I'm manipulative or I'm whatever you fill in the blank. No, you go, no, 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 my nature is I'm born of God. I have his love inside of me and I'm gonna give all that I can today to embrace that. You know, it so much starts with what's in your head. A lot of times we see, oh, I wanna change. And we think, okay, I wanna set a goal to be more loving, more encouraging. And then we decide, okay, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to write encouraging notes or I'm going to build my friends up. We, we set these goals, right? We decide this is what I'm going to do. But so often we find ourselves stuck in the same place. Why? Because we never changed our identity. Do you realize that? Unless if you work on your identity first, it's out of your identity flows your actions and flows the outcomes of your life. That's what social scientists studying habits are finding. If you don't change what's in your head about who you are, you're never going to change your actions, which ultimately changes the outcomes of your life. So will you embrace that you are born of God? Now, let's be clear. If someone doesn't know Christ, does that mean they can't love? No. God has created us all in his image. It just makes sense that they would be able to reflect some sort of love because they were created in the image of God. But let's be honest, they've never had the heart, the, the, the focus on God's love to define the way that they love. So it's always going to fall short because it's a human-defined love instead of a God-defined love, a supernatural love. So the deepest definition of love is God saying, now we are born of him so we can love like him. Now the second part of verse 7 says, declares that we know God. Now knowing God isn't just like, oh, I know stuff about God. No, it's knowing intimately, like again, like I know my children. It's that kind of comfortable, confident, deep kind of knowing. And I don't want you to rush past this. 
I don't want you to rush past this. God, who spoke this world into existence, with words a universe came crashing into existence. That God, that God that is all-knowing, that God that is all-powerful, that God that is all-loving and all-knowing, that God says, I want you to know me. That God says, I want to be intimately close to you. I want you to call me Father. That God, Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6, 6 says, if you will go into your room and close the door, in other words, if you will go to just be alone with me, I will meet with you. Look it up, Matthew 6, 6. What? What? God, really? But if that's the way God is, he says, you get to know me like that. What does that mean for us and how we love other people? Is there anyone that we should turn away? Is there anyone that we should say is not good or worth our effort? Yes, we can draw boundaries. If someone's, if you're in an abusive relationship and, and they're just beating you down, no, loving them, knowing them is drawing a boundary and saying, until you change behavior, we can't be around each other until you change that. But that's the rare circumstance. God is saying that with our very presence, we elevate people by saying, I want you to know, I want to know you. I want you to know me. And ultimately, I want you to see that God wants to know you. So if you're born of God and you know God and God is love, John says right there in verse seven and eight, you will live love. A couple years ago, I was um, on a retreat just spending an extended time alone with God out at this camp, dead of winter, snow everywhere. One night I decided to go out on a walk and walking through this really thick woods and walked out into this one area where it just opened up because there was the lake. And the lake was covered in snow and ice. And so I decided to walk out on the ice. So I'm taking a few steps. I'm, I'm kind of like 50, maybe 100 feet out on the ice. And all of a sudden I hear a pop, like super loud. And I about died. <laughs> I was like, I'm about to fall through the ice. Now everything in me knows I'm from Minnesota. I'm not going to fall through the ice. But I swear it was the loudest thing I've ever heard. I didn't know ice pops. Did you guys know ice pops super loud at times? I had no idea. Apparently it's a normal thing. Not the point of the story, sorry. But I noticed that night as I looked up that it was incredibly bright outside. I mean, it was 10 p.m. at night, and yet out there when I got out from underneath the trees, I could see everything. It was like someone had a spotlight down on this lake. And I looked up and I saw this most brilliant full moon that was just lighting up the sky. And you know, it's interesting because the moon has no light of its own, right? It only reflects the sun back to the earth. And when the earth is in the way, you only see the moon lit up in little slivers. But around the right rotation, the sun lights up the moon and it is brilliant when it is all lit up. And as I was just walking and praying, I got the sense that God was like, that's what I want from you, Nate. Now you have no light unto yourself. But when you stand in the brilliant love that I have for you, when you stand fully in the light, when you pursue me with all your heart, when you pray for me to transform you, when you seek me and you stand in the light, I'm going to use you to reflect that light into this dark world in a brilliant way that when people notice, just point them to me so that then they can learn how to do the same. And that's what God is saying. You're born of God. You know me. Walk in intimacy with me. Pray that I 
that, that you may display my love and I will work it alive in you. So the first thing that we need to know is that love is defined by God, not by us, by God. We take our cues from him. Then we go on to 1 John 4, 9, and 10. Get into the specifics of what that kind of love looks like. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if God defines love and we say, okay, well, show me, God. He goes, okay, look at Jesus. Because Jesus demonstrates the love that God defines. See, God's love is not an abstract principle or sentiment like many other religions where we're told to love, but the definition is lacking. See, our God, the Christian God, he is an acting God. He is a loving God. He is a serving God. We see it in Jesus. And when you realize that God loves you in such a crazy deep way, that despite your deepest flaws and failures, that love becomes the thing you ground your life on. And then the love that you can give to other people. Lavish love from God inspires lavish love out of us. And this is clearly not a love that comes and goes. This is not a love you fall in and out of. This is not a love that is about fickle emotions. No, it's not that kind of love. It's constant. It's extravagant. It's unrestrained. It's a choice that God makes and that we need to make. So what are the specific ways Jesus demonstrated it? Well, look back at verse nine. It says that God showed his love by sending his son. And then in verse 10, verse 10 it says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So clearly there's something really important there we need to focus on, and it's this, that Christ-like love takes initiative. Christ-like love takes initiative. It goes first. It pursued us when we were running away. God's love sent Jesus into enemy territory on a search and rescue mission for people who didn't want to be rescued. <laughs> he sent his son into that world. He sent his son into a world that was dead with no life and no hope. He sent his son into a world that was in rebellion against him. He sent his world into a son into a he sent his son into a world that hated him. God sent his son he took initiative. He went first. God intentionally put his love on display among us. Christ's love goes first. So where do you need to go first in your life? How are you taking initiative to love others? One of the greatest ways you can take initiative is just to be inclusive in the way that you just welcome people into your circle. Whether they believe what you believe or not, whether you agree with them and everything or not, you just say, you are always welcome here. You are always home when I'm around because that is the way we take initiative in some simple, practical ways. What if you took initiative in just asking that deeper question? Hey, how, how you doing? Everyone's like, good. No, no, really. How are you doing? I genuinely wanna know. What if you took initiative on your floor, with your roommates, with your classmates, with your people you work with, what if you took initiative to find what they loved and then provide that for them or spend time doing that with them. Take initiative, go outside of the norm. It's difficult, but it's where so much joy is found 
When we forget about ourselves and we say, okay, what can I do to take initiative to go first? And sometimes that means going first and saying, I'm sorry. There are a lot of times in my household where I have a conversation with my kids and I get a little heated and they're doing crazy stuff. And it's easy for me to say, well, I'm the dad. They, you know, they just need to deal with it. I raised my voice. I spoke harshly, but they were being ridiculous. I was just correcting them. And then I hear God saying, no, no, Nate, take initiative. Go apologize. Go humble yourself. Ask for forgiveness. So how are you going to take initiative? There is a billion possibilities, which is so exciting to live in this kind of love. Next, we see that Christ-like love is sacrificial. Notice that in verse 9, it says that God sent his one and only son and that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let us notice two things. First, Jesus was God's one and only. Think about that person in your life that is the one and only. Maybe it's your friend, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's, I don't know. But who's the one and only in your life? Someone who's so precious to you. Think about giving that person up for somebody else, somebody who's your enemy. I mean, there's this moment back in the Old Testament where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on an altar to worship him. And we're like shocked. How could he ask for something like that? And it, and it, and it terrifies us. And what, what is God like? Well, as we read in the story, Abraham just trusted that even if he went through with it, God would raise him from the dead because he just knew how good God was. And then God provides a different way and says, you'll never sacrifice a human to me, even though the gods of the land would tell you to. Well, I would never ask you to do that. But we look at that story and we're shocked and we should be shocked. But realize this. God's sacrificial love said, I'll send my one and only son and he will die. He will give it all. God didn't send an angel, he sent his son. God didn't send his son to live, he sent him to die. And it was not an ordinary death, not just the death of a martyr, it was the death of a savior dying in our place, bearing our punishment. God-defined love, a Christ-like love is a sacrificial love. But it goes even beyond that. See, Jesus, as our atoning sacrifice, was willing to take on pain for our gain. Y'all, we do not like this. This is so un-American. Wait, you want me to suffer? You want me to take on pain? You want me to do difficult things? Y'all, think about the most significant things you've done in your life. Haven't all of them come alongside of pain or struggle or strife? You know, people ask me a lot of time, what's, what's adoption like? What's that experience like? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it hard? And I'm like, it is really challenging, but it is good. It's worth everything we've put into it. You will never love deeply unless if you're willing to sacrifice. We need to get over the American ideal of I just deserve to be happy. No, you deserve to be holy. You are called to be alive in love. That lasts for eternity is not just some passing happiness, but is joy, joy that lasts for eternity. And that comes through sacrificial love. It's a different kind of love. You know, I remember my friends, right before I got married, I was the first of my friends to get married. I was 20 years old. I remember the day before I got married, one of my friends just said, so Nate, are you like nervous? Do you have cold feet? What, are, what, what is cold feet? Do you know what it is? And I'm like, I don't know what cold feet is, but yeah, there's nerves, there's excitement. Like, I can't believe tomorrow's the day I'm gonna get married, that this is the person I'm gonna be married to the rest of my life. Like, I'm, I'm super excited. But honestly, honestly, I just have a deep peace. 
And this was totally like God just giving this to me because I don't know where this came from. But what I said is I have this peace because I know Kristen loves God and she wants to love me like God has loved her. I know that my desire is to love God and to love her like she loves me. So we're gonna spend the entire rest of our lives just trying to outserve each other because of how Jesus loved us. That sounds pretty amazing. That gives me peace. And that's what I want you to understand is that if you understand in your loving relationship with God that you love others, no strings attached, that transforms a marriage. Because when I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking, well, what has Kristen done for me lately? And then based on what she's done for me lately, I'll love her. No, that's a recipe for divorce. No, when I wake up in the morning and I say, you know what, Christ has loved me so extravagantly. My calling is to love her regardless of how she treats me. And the same thing is for her. Do you see how that changes the dynamic of a relationship? When you realize I approach everything differently because I'm infinitely, constantly loved and so I can love. No strings attached. My kids, my friends. Just think about every relationship you have and how that would change it if you knew I love them because of how God loved me, not because of what they've done for me lately. That's a sacrificial, giving, next level kind of love. So where do you need to sacrifice in forgiveness? Where do you need to sacrifice to serve? Where do you need to sacrifice to give up comforts, to break the ice? We see Jesus doing that on the cross and we're called to follow him. Finally, we see that Christ-like love brings life. Notice in verse nine, that it says that Christ came so we could have life through him. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a purpose to bring life. And so do you. To love someone is to tell them about Jesus. To love someone is to say God loves you and wants to lavish his love on you and call you a children of God. I mean, my goodness, how could I say I love someone if I'm not willing to tell them about this? Everything we've been learning all weekend. How could I say that I'm a true friend if I'm not willing to say, hey, do you want your whole eternity changed? If I wasn't willing to say, hey, I want you to know what's happening in my life. And it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. It's just telling a story. We tell to you people stories all the time about what's impacting our life. And when our friend is talking about dealing with loneliness, you can relate and say, yeah, I've dealt with loneliness too. But can I just tell you about my God, my God who's telling me I'm never alone. And maybe, maybe he could change your life too if you'd let him. We have to start to live as evangelists. And, and what does that mean? To bring good news to people. We have to live as disciples. What does that mean? To teach people to obey everything that Christ commanded because that's where life is experienced. My prayer is that you understand that all God has shown us this weekend is to be given to other people. This must be a passion in our heart to bring life. We've received light, so we need to give light. It's gotta be the central intention of our lives. And I love two guys. John Falconer said, I have put one candle of life to burn and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Whew. How about C.T. Studd? Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run to a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He's saying, I got one life. And I want to live it to rescue as many people from death, from eternal death, from eternal isolation without God. And I'll do whatever it takes. Will you? That's what Christ-like love is defined by. It brings life wherever it goes. Yes, it's about your actions, but those actions need to be accompanied by words. And I want to challenge you, every one of you in here, 
I don't care what year you are, but especially you seniors, if you haven't really gotten on your knees before the Lord and said, God, are you sending me to go to Cincinnati with this church plant? Then you need to get on your knees and pray. Because here's the reality. There are two million-ish people in Cincinnati that don't know that they can be children of God. There's a campus of 46,000 students that less than 500 are actually going to a church or on-campus ministry. There are thousands that need the light that you have. And saying, yeah, I just didn't really think about it. Yeah, it just seems uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't fit with my plan. It's not enough. I dare you, I ask you to get on your knees before the Lord and say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And if it's stay here, you'll stay here. If it's go with us, you'll go with us. If it's going somewhere else, you'll go there because that's our calling and that's where real life is found. Y'all listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Y'all, that's next level. That's the kind of love we're to be defined by. Anybody else read that and go, oh dear. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing good on that one. Anybody willing to admit that? I, I see several things on that list that I'm just so short of. But here's what I want you to hear. is again, that's God's conviction that leads us to confession, that leads us to forgiveness, that leads us to change. What if you took just that and spent the next several months praying through one aspect every week and just said, God, I want to grow in love that is patient. God, I want to grow in love that is kind. And just all throughout the week, you just use that as your prayer and just saw how God would convict, transform, and send you in a whole new direction. Just think about what would happen in your life. You know what would happen in your life? We'll see in the final two verses for this morning. 1 John 4, 11 to 12 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives on us and his love, listen, God's love is made complete in us. When we understand that God defines love, that Christ demonstrates love, we deeply love. It's what's gonna flow from us. He's using this greater to lesser argument. You might say it this way. If God loves us this way, and he does, just look at the cross, then we ought to naturally, out of gospel gratitude and connection to the very source of love, love one another. His love is made perfect in us, made complete in us, made mature in us. Y'all, I just want to challenge you to close. There are a lot of people out there today that have a really low view of the church, have a low view of Christ. And it's because Christians, Christians are seen in such negative ways right now. We're known by what we're against than the people that we love and are for. And it's up to you as this next generation to change that. And I want you to understand that it happens in big ways, in big grand moves, but it also happens in really simple ways. See, when you choose to live like this kind of love in your connection group, it's gonna have a ripple effect. In your family, it's gonna have a ripple effect. The smallest things God can use to do the biggest things. Listen to this. Some of my neighbors, years ago, before they came to Christ, they were getting on an airplane to fly home from Las Vegas. And David and Jen getting on the plane. Jen is freaking out. 
because she just hates airplanes. Everything about her stresses her out. And so they're sitting down. She's already freaking out. Dave is like, I have no idea what to do. And then out of nowhere, this big dude walks up to me and he says, hey, you need to come sit by me. And Dave was like, he was so big. I was like, okay, whatever you say. I don't know what's going on, but I'm gonna sit next to you. The guy went on to say, because my wife wants to sit next to your wife and just help her through this stressful flight. Okay. So this woman comes and sits down next to Jen and spends the rest of the flight holding her hand, at times singing softly, sharing all about her life, talking about whatever, whenever, to get Jen through this flight. And through that conversation, Jen finds out she loves Jesus. She has a church that she goes to in the city that they lived in. And then they part ways. So four years later, Dave and Jen go, we need a community that cares. We need a community that'll help us. We don't know where to look, but we know that woman four years ago from the flight. Let's go to the church she goes to. Are you kidding me? Something so small, four years later, lit up their hearts, brought them to church. They've given their lives to Christ. Their whole world in eternity is different. I know you might think, well, me, insignificant me. No, no, you with a significant God, with his unbelievable love, when you're willing to do simple acts of love, he can do amazing things. That's why it says in Ephesians 3.20 that he can do immeasurably more through us than we could ever ask or imagine if we dare to love like he does. So here's the bottom line of the whole weekend. As God's children, we are saved by the Father's love. We are transformed by Jesus' light to illuminate the darkness with God's perfect love. That's your calling. That's your purpose. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, what a challenge to try to reflect your love to this world. <laughs> At times it seems a little hopeless because of how Ridiculous I can be. But I know that it's my calling and I know that through confession and forgiveness and your power that I am step by step, day by day, growing towards that kind of love. And I pray for every single person in this room. I pray that they would decide to accept this love, live in this love so they can display this love with everything that they have, Jesus. feels like this is a holy moment, God, a moment where we could just move on, just go about our week, or a moment where we could stop and now sing these songs as prayers from our heart, where we could let go of everything else going on in the room, and we could truly, with all of us, with our mind, with my heart, with our soul, our body, just declare that we love you, that we honor you, that we praise you, for your extravagant love because we know that the more we stand in awe of how you love us, the more we worship you, God, the more that what flows from you into us, this river of love, will then change everything that we do when we leave this place. God, we need you. Teach us to abide in you and do even measurably more than we could ever ask or imagine for your glory, Jesus. We pray, amen.